Good morning. We are going to be taking a look today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have two verses in 1 Corinthians 12 I'd like to examine this morning. Verses 8 and 28. So let's begin with verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Now go to verse 28. And God hath sent some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, gifts, healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now we are, as far as my handout goes, on point number three, gifts of promotion. But we're going to skip that one for now. We'll come back to that. I'd like to end with that one and just continue with the, the thoughts that we've had regarding those gifts of the Spirit that God uses to assist the church today. And I see gifts of preparation. There are three of them that I have placed in this category, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, and teaching. Now, I want to clarify what is the difference between wisdom and the word of wisdom. You know, I, I didn't bring out any handouts today. I've been passing them out for the last few times, so I did not have any today. I can get it to you after the lesson if you like. All right, so wisdom versus the word of wisdom, knowledge versus the word of knowledge. I believe that the difference, and by the way, the Bible does not clarify the difference. The Bible does not define these any more than just giving us a, a, a different phrase, word of wisdom, as opposed to just wisdom. I believe very strongly that word of wisdom implies that it's not just someone who has the gift of wisdom, but someone who has the gift of speaking that wisdom to others in a way that is helpful to them. There are those who have wisdom for themselves, but really don't have a gift at communicating it. It, it, it stays up here. They can act on their wisdom. They make very wise choices, but they're just not teachers. Now, we see the general term teacher, and I think that that general term teacher would apply to just someone who communicates the Word of God well as a whole, but there's two very specific parts of teaching, two very specific gifts mentioned here, Word of Wisdom, Word of Knowledge. So, the word of wisdom would be the implication of taking the application of God's word and communicating it to God's church. Now, we talked last time you we were together about, maybe a couple of Sundays ago, about preaching versus teaching. And I do believe that a word of wisdom would be probably more implied for preaching. That's going to be the action, the principles of God's word and what we do with them. And the word of knowledge would probably be more of a teaching style, someone who is, is more of a teacher than a preacher. I'm not saying that a preacher can't have the word of knowledge, and I'm not saying a teacher doesn't have the word of wisdom. I just feel like those two phrases, one would be more of, uh, akin to teaching, one would be more akin to preaching. But both can be very valuable, as you can see in the church. That there are people, I think, that want wisdom, and they don't know where to begin. Now, where does God's word say to begin? How do we begin biblically, if we want wisdom. Asking God's a great one. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, though, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, someone can say, Lord, please give me wisdom, but if they're living a rebellious life, running from God, we're told that the prayers of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Not that, uh, God, not that the person themselves is an abomination to God, but their prayers aren't going to have much effect if they are living a lifestyle contrary to truth, contrary to Scripture. 
So really, Sue, I would say a better step before prayer would be walking in the steps of the Lord, fearing the Lord. That is the first step towards wisdom. Once you have decided that I'm going to be a Christ follower, you are now setting yourself up for success on many levels. On the level of, of prayer, now Christ can, can and will answer your prayer because he doesn't have to punish your rebellious spirit. Uh, following Christ allows you to see things differently, which opens up wisdom. So, so many things can be done for you. I, th- I think the first step towards wisdom is following God. But there are those who do that. They've made a commitment. They want to follow God. They've, they, they have no doubt in their mind about who they want to be. They want to be a Christ follower. But they just don't really know where to go from there. And then I would say prayer. Definitely asking God for wisdom, letting God teach you, letting the Holy Spirit teach you. The Holy Spirit, we're told, is the comforter, but he is the great teacher. All right, so his job is to instruct God's people. But I don't believe that God's people only learn from God. I believe they could. I mean, if you find yourself in a situation where there is no church, you're the only Christian in the community, maybe a small village, and there's no one else there, I mean, Yes, then the Holy Spirit with the Word of God can and will teach you. I don't believe that's God's intent for everyone. I see in Scripture that God has given us the gifts of position. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So God wants us to learn from other godly men and women. In fact, we're instructed to teach others. Parents are instructed to teach the children. Pastors are instructed to teach the church. Mothers are instructed to teach daughters, fathers, sons. Older women are instructed to teach the younger women in the church. Older men are instructed to teach the younger men. So there is without a doubt in my mind, God has set the church up so that the younger learn from the older and that the older learn from each other. We're told to humble ourselves, and to submit to one another, which has the idea of, well, what do you think we should do? How should we go about it? And let me learn from what you know. Regardless of your age, older or younger than me, sometimes the older need to learn from the younger. And so there is definitely a need for wisdom to be taught in the church by Christians, not just the Holy Spirit. Not because the Holy Spirit needs help, He obviously does not, but the Holy Spirit wants to use us to assist other Christians. Not need, wants. Why? You've got to ask God why God would want to use humans, why he would want to use fallible men and women to take the infallible truths of the Word of God and pass it on to others. I really don't know that I have that answer other than this. When God uses weak Christians, it just shows how awesome he really is. How powerful he is to be able to use weak believers to accomplish amazing things. Yes, Sue. Sure. So throughout human history, God has used fallible men and women. That's right. All right. So the word of wisdom is a gift God gives to believers to assist other believers specifically in what area? Preparation. Preparation to do what? Well, I believe to serve God. Preparation to live successful Christian lives. 
to live healthy marriages. Preparation to, to find uh, a walk closer to God, walking towards God rather than away. I believe there are people who they sincerely love the Lord and sincerely wanted to follow God but were lied to. And for years of their life, they thought they were doing right. They thought they were following God, only to find when they were, dis- when they were given truth and they compared truth to what they thought they knew, that it, finally the, the scales are taken from their eyes. That's what the Bible says, right? That their blindness is eliminated. And they realize, wow, I wish I knew that, what? When I was younger. <laughs> Which implies if they had known when they are younger, they would have acted on it. And you know what? I believe that. I believe that to be the case for a lot of Christians. That if they had been given the word of wisdom, wisdom communicated in a way to them that made sense, they would have acted on it. But in their church, either there was no one with the gift of the word of wisdom, or the people who had it weren't allowed to use it. You know, there are churches where those with the gift of the word of wisdom aren't allowed to speak. In fact, there are those churches where it doesn't matter what gift you are you have. You know what matters? Who are you related to? Specifically, if you are a, a, a relation to the pastor's family, the whole ministry is open to you. Uh, there is no determination of what gifts you do or do not have. There's no evaluation of the character that you have or have not fostered over the years. There's no question about experience or lack thereof. Oh, you're related to the pastor's family. Sure, you can do this. You can be the youth pastor. You can be the children's director. You can be the song leader. Well, she has uh, uh, no ability to lead singing. I mean, she has a lovely spirit, but she can't even sing on tune. But she's the pastor's daughter, so she's going to lead the music. I mean, the young man is like a shrinking violet. Like, he, he, he cowers before children, let alone teenagers. But he can be the youth pastor. I mean, what are we doing? Instead of churches saying, who's equipped best for this position? Who has God gifted for this position? Unfortunately, churches say, who's related to the pastor? Or, if not that, they'll say, who wants the job? No qualifications necessary. We don't need a resume. Are you alive? Yes, good, you're hired. Go take care of the kids. Make sure they also stay alive, and you'll do your job well. God gave the gifts of the Spirit to the church to enhance the church's ability to thrive, not to just stay alive. But as I stated, some churches, if you're not related to the pastor, you can't speak in any public forum. You can't be a teacher. You can't lead children. And I think part of the issue is there is fear. Fear by the leaders that another stronger, wiser, more liked leader might stand up and then the leader, the pastor, might be cast into the shadows. I think one reason a pastor lets his family take positions is because a pastor can control his family. A pastor can control his son. Yeah, you're the youth pastor, son, but remember, I'm not only the pastor, I'm your dad. Like, son, Obey me. The pastor recognizes his daughter can't sing worth a lick, but she'll do everything he wants because she's a daddy's girl. She'll only sing the songs he wants her to sing, and she'll only to sing it the way he wants her to sing it. And she'll say exactly what he wants her to say between each song about him and about others. And so it's a control mechanism. 
Now, I think that at first glance, we may say, what a beautiful thing, the pastor's family involved. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have the pastor's family involved. I'm saying the motivation can be tainted. There's really no way for you to know right away. You'd have to be in the church long enough to figure out if the motivation is wrong. You figure that out when the music leader who's related can't sing, when the youth pastor who's related can't teach, hates teenagers, and teenagers hate them. I mean, then you'll, you'll start red flags, okay? The motivation is probably not pure. But look, if the pastor's daughter is a great singer, let her lead singing. If the pastor's son loves teenagers and, and has the word of wisdom can pass on, then let the man be a youth pastor. I, I'm not saying it disqualifies them, but nor does it qualify them. And so the word of wisdom, the ability to communicate wisdom to people so that they would say, ah, I see now. I see what step I need to take next. I see the choices I should have been making. It is so clear to me now. How did I not see that before? Now let's make some changes. That's the word of wisdom. Because wisdom, I believe, very strongly is application. Wisdom is the ability to not just know what is wrong and right, but what is good from best, (laughs) and to choose best. But then also on top of that, the word of wisdom communicates not just what, but how. Okay, I know what is wrong and right. I know what is best and good. I'm going to choose best. And now, with word of wisdom, I know what to do, the actions I should take while choosing the best over the good. How valuable is that to Christian living? And then we see the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge, I believe, obviously closely related to the word of wisdom is the ability to communicate, not just having knowledge of Scripture yourself, not just having a deep understanding of Scripture, but knowing how to communicate that knowledge of Scripture to others in a way that doesn't cause them to fall asleep, in a way that doesn't cause them to say, now, what did I just hear today? Like, woo, way over my head, right? Have you ever been in in a learning environment where the speaker is so deep, it's like you didn't get a thing. They were speaking another language. Been in a college class. Maybe you've been in a graduate studies class. Maybe a, a PhD doctorate class. Sometimes I feel like I've been in churches where I feel like the pastor thinks he's teaching a doctorate level discourse. Like, come on, man. We, we aren't all getting our PhDs this morning. All right, let's, let's have some low-hanging fruit here. That should not be insulting to the believer to have low-hanging fruit, to make it easy for someone to grab and to take with them and say, this was good. This was good for me today. I believe that when when you read Scripture, by the way, when you read Christ's preaching, we're going over the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesdays, it was low-hanging fruit, very basic stuff. Now, there were times where he went deep. There were times he spoke parable. The apostles said, now, what were you saying there? Can you explain that to us? That was rare. Most of the time, there was no need to say, can you explain that to us? The apostles understood. The masses of thousands of of people, 5,000 men alone, plus women and children, understood. Christ was able to communicate the word of knowledge on a basic level where people could walk away and say, I learned knowledge of God's word. The word of wisdom, I learned right from wrong, better from best, and how to go about that, the word of wisdom. But the word of knowledge, I just gained a deeper knowledge of who God is today. I gained a deeper knowledge of who I am in God. Not necessarily wisdom. 
I mean, obviously, it can, it can help with wisdom, right? Knowing God better can surely assist you in your, your choices of wisdom. Knowing yourself better can surely and will surely affect your wisdom. But they're not necessarily the same. I believe that the Holy Spirit takes the truth of God's word and builds on that to teach you wisdom. Yeah, I believe he teaches us wisdom also off of relationships, off of nature itself. You walk outside, you see the sun, you see the trees and, and the seasons, and, and the Holy Spirit can teach you from nature. But the Holy Spirit's going to use the word of God, mostly, I believe. And he's going to use the word of truth and the word of knowledge. And so the, basically think of it like this. The stronger your foundation is, the higher you can build your building. <laughs> You're not going to put a 20-story apartment complex on a two-foot-thick slab. That's not going to work. You need a much stronger foundation, much deeper foundation, if you're going to have a stronger, higher building. You know, there's people where they don't have a slab. It's like the villages where they just, it's, it's dirt. <laughs> they just build it right on top of the dirt. Well, sure, you can build a building on top of the dirt. It's not going to fall. You can't go very high with the thing. Because if you go too high and that dirt starts to shift, especially if there's rain that comes and it takes away some of the foundation, which is just dirt, you went too high, what's going to happen to your building? It's going to fall. It's the same thing with Christian lives. You know, there's a lot of Christians, I think they want to build really high. Like, they want to do amazing things for God. I want to serve God. I want God to use me to do to, to awesome things. They just keep building and building and building really high. It's the zealous young man, zealous young woman who at age 21, I mean, they're just, from the outside looking in, other Christians say, wow, how is that person accomplishing so much at such a young age? And they're just always doing. And then at 25, you meet them again, and they're doing what? Nothing. (laughs) Doing nothing. What happened? They built so high with a lack of foundation that when times got tough, Jesus Christ gives us a parable, the wind and the rain beat upon it, their foundation was unstable. What happened? It crumbled. Look, this person didn't have a lack of desire to build. They wanted to build. They wanted to do something. But there was no foundation, and so it crumbled. I was talking with the pastor one time, and uh, I say pastor, I guess former pastor. This pastor uh, had, was, a, was a young man. He was a zealous young man, just on fire for God. Young, I think young, maybe 20s, maybe mid-20s, on fire for the Lord. And, uh, I mean, this story is, is repeated often. This is not an uncommon story, but I, I, I knew this guy. And he went to a church, and just, like, from the get-go, let's get some things done. Let's move forward. Let's, let's accomplish amazing things for the kingdom of God. But within literally less than a year, <laughs> um, things didn't work out the way he was hoping. And the church let him go. And then when I talked to him again afterwards, you know, sympathizing, I'm sorry that happened. That's unfortunate. So what are you doing now? He's not going to church. His wife and him weren't going to church. If I remember correctly, I think he had a child, a young child, you know, not going to church. I mean, how could you go from, I want to be a pastor, I want to serve God, I want to uh, see God build amazing things, to not going to church at all? How does that happen? I think, obviously, there's many factors. I mean, it's a very discouraging thing to be fired by a, a, a body of believers. And I'm not going to get into why he was fired. There's no moral issues going on. Just some, some uh, difference of opinions. And the church and the pastor uh, did not see eye to eye 
Um, and it wasn't even theology. It was philosophy, but didn't see eye to eye, and the church let him go. And that alone was enough to crumble whatever he had built up to that point in his life. And now his, you might say, building of the kingdom was in shatters. There was nothing left. He wasn't even going to church. I'll tell you how that happens. Main reason, there's no foundation. There's no strong foundation of truth, of knowledge, with which to build on top of. Christ said that parable of the, the storm, he said, those who know and follow my words have the strong foundation. So you know what that means? Both the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are implied. You know what I do. I mean, you got to know it to follow it, right? You know the truth, and then you act on it. When you have those two things, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, applied, you have a strong foundation. You can start building, and life will not break it down. So you're in a church where the pastor limits who can pass on the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. You're in a church where the pastor is limiting the strength at the foundation of the people. You're in a church where Christians are not allowed to use their gifts, gifts of preparation, preparation to grow. And by the way, preparation to go. You know, another reason I think that pastors like control of the growth of the, of the body of believers is because they want them to grow, but they don't want them to go. <laughs> and there have been multiple families in Meriden Hills Baptist Church who've grown here multiple, on multiple times I've had this conversation. And they said, Pastor Russ, we were grateful for our time here. We really grew a lot. God is calling us to another ministry. They, uh, one particular family said, um, to, this, this mother said, uh, there's a church that needs what I can do for them. I don't, she didn't get into details. I didn't ask. It wasn't really my business. She was just letting me know, hey, we're moving ministries. There's a church that needs me and what I can do, and I prayed about it. I'm going to go there and help them. That's a beautiful thing. Her and her family grew here to a certain point, and then they went somewhere else to now assist them. But, you know, a lot of pastors don't want that. They want you to grow here and stay here. <laughs> and so, in fact, what they need to do then, inevitably, they got to limit your growth because... When you grow to a certain point, you, you will start asking, what am I doing? What am I doing here? And you will either adapt and start doing something here, or you will go and do something somewhere else. That is what's going to happen, which is what it should be. And if God calls you to remain here once you've grown, if God says, all right, now stay here and get to work here, praise the Lord. We're glad to have you stay but if God says, all right, you've had your moment of growth, now get out there somewhere else and assist someone else who doesn't have growth like you do, who doesn't have the amount of people growing like Meriden Hills does. Now get out there and help them. Praise the Lord for that too because, folks, this ain't my church. You're not my people. You're God's people. We are his church. You serve God here, praise the Lord. You serve God there, praise the Lord. Are you serving God? That's all I want to know. You're God's child here, praise the Lord. You're God's child there, praise the Lord. You're God's child, that's all I want to know. It doesn't have to be here. We're not the only church in town, you know, metaphorically, right? There are other good churches that love God. And there are other good churches that love God and don't have the gifts of the Spirit being evidenced like they are in this church. And so let's grow. And then let's go. Let's either let's go there or let's go here. But let's go and let's get moving. That's the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Now, I see also in verse 28, teachers after that miracles, gifts, healings, diversities of tongues. 
Now, we've already talked about teachers. I do want to mention them again. It's the only gift, really, that I've mentioned twice in all of the uh, subsections, all of the, the categories I've placed them in. Because I do believe, and although I've stated others could be mentioned, I just could not separate this one from both of these positions. So one was a gift of position teachers, and another one was a gift of preparation teaching, which is still teachers, same thing. So I had stated that the gifts of position, a teacher is essentially an authority figure to some degree. It's someone who's now uh, taking the word of God and handing it off to someone else saying, I am an authority to some level on this truth. That's why I'm giving it to you. And so it is a gift of position. And in many churches, those who are teachers are uh, seen as authority figures to some level. But gift of preparation, a teacher is also one who is preparing God's people for the, the problems they're going to have. Now, in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we saw this earlier. What does a pastor have to be able to do to, pe- to, to be a pastor? Has to teach. Now, there's a whole list of things a pastor has to do, which I find in a lot of churches, pastors aren't even hitting that, most of the things on that list. Uh, it says a brawler, can't be a brawler, um, can't be a, someone who's causing division. I was talking with a pastor one time, and we were, we were discussing how you should, uh, you should or should not react when someone insults you. And um, I got to tell you, it's hard to be insulted. That, it hurts your pride. You know what's really hard, though, is when someone insults your wife. In fact, we were just having this conversation recently, and, and, I'm, and it's not one of our pastors, so it's not someone who goes to our church. I, it was a pastor outside of this church. I talk to a lot of people a lot of time. I really enjoy talking to people. And this pastor does not go to our church or is not, it doesn't even, he's not even from Connecticut, all right? So don't think you know this pastor because you don't. He doesn't go to Connecticut, and he doesn't go to our church. All right, Don's like, who is this guy? And he never went to this church ever, okay? So let's just clarify all of that. You literally do not know this man. But the thing with Will Smith happened, right, a couple weeks ago where Will Smith went up and slapped uh, Chris Rock. I, I don't watch the, the whatever, what is it, the Oscars? Is that what it is? Okay, it's not the Grammys. The Grammys is the music, right? I don't watch the Oscars, but I saw that because everyone saw that because it was on social media. It was on the news. So Will Smith goes up and slaps the guy. And uh, I was talking with this pastor. I said, look, we need to remember that as pastors, whatever we say during the week, we, we got, it can't contradict what we preach on Sunday. And how we act during the week cannot contradict how we act on Sunday. I said, so, because there was a lot of spiritual leaders, if you noticed, on your social media pages saying, good job, Will Smith, yeah, you know, show them how it's done. That's, that's, that's good husband right there, like standing up for your wife. And these are preachers saying this. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? So I was talking to this pastor, and, and I said, you know, we're, at, we're literally called to not be brawlers. That's what First Timothy 3, 3 says. You cannot be a brawler. And this pastor said, well, you know what? He did the right thing. If someone insulted my wife, I'd do the same thing. I, I didn't get into a long conversation with him because he didn't really want to talk about it. But that's when I said, we're not, we're not supposed to be brawlers, though. And he said, well, if that's your definition of um, what he did, then maybe you shouldn't do it. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, isn't that every... I mean, the guy smacked him in the face. If that's not a brawler, I don't know what is. But it, basically, what it came from what I could gather from what this guy was saying is that... A brawler is someone, I guess, who gets in fights needlessly. But when there's a cause slapping someone's face, you're justified. And so I think what he was trying to tell me is, like, if I think that that was without a cause, then, you know, I shouldn't do it. Like the whole not eating meat thing. Like, you know, it's not good for you, but it's good for me. Like, I can slap Chris Rock, but you can't slap Chris Rock. So that concerned me greatly. 
Now I'll have you know he's not a really he's not a friend of mine. He was just a pastor when we were talking. Uh, so I would never have him preach at this church. In fact, I w- if I knew someone who went to that church, I'd say you need to rethink uh, what church you're going to. <laughs> if you're going to a church where the pastor is publicly stating it's okay to slap a guy because he insulted your wife, well then, I mean a lot of pastors would be slapping a lot of people. I got to tell you. Because uh, it's not uncommon for churches to insult the pastor's family. It happens a lot more often than you would know. I've had people insult my wife. I've had people insult me. <laughs> if I slapped everyone that insulted my family, I wouldn't be here. You guys would have fired me by now. You, you, you can't have a pastor slapping people. <laughs> and yet here's a man who's justifying it and saying it's okay. And so <laughs> teaching, you know, it is important that we teach people right from wrong so they don't go around slapping people. Because otherwise, they like this pastor who obviously wasn't taught and is now teaching people, God forbid. A man who doesn't understand the word of God passing on his deception to others is very scary to me. That's the result. When you aren't taught, the, the truth is, humanity, we are opinionated. Just because you weren't taught doesn't mean you won't teach, <laughs> right? How many times have you had someone try to tell you something, you're like, Wait a second. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, at first, you sound, they sound really convincing. Five minutes later, you're like, okay, I can just turn them completely off because they don't have a clue what they're talking about. They're winging it. Yeah? There's a lot of churches like that. A lot of people just winging it. A lot of men teaching Bible studies just winging it. A lot of women teaching Bible studies. Boy, are they winging it. They are passing on information. It's not correct, but they're passing it on. Christ talked to the Pharisees and said, making them twice the disciples of the devil because of the deception you're passing on. And there's a big problem. When we aren't prepared with sound teaching, when we aren't given the foundation of wisdom and knowledge and we just start speaking and we start giving opinions, that's exactly what they're going to be, opinions. And not even good opinions. Not even opinions that are founded on a philosophy of biblical knowledge. It's opinions of tradition. It's opinions of emotion. It's opinions that the person can't even defend, but they're going to speak them loudly. How many churches today, right now, opinions are being taught as truth about what people should or should not wear, should or should not listen to, places they should and should not go? I mean, there are churches still today speaking that if you go to the movie theater, uh, you're in sin, you need to repent. There's no... There's no foundational truth for that statement, but they're teaching it. Why? Because traditionally it was taught back in the 1960s. There was no movie rental. There was no red box. You went to the theater. Now, from what I could tell uh, in the 1960s, if you watch the movies of the 1960s, there really wasn't a whole lot of um, horrible movies, at least not compared to today. But in that time, in that culture, kissing publicly was a you know, no-no. <laughs> Uh, 1950s and 60s. And so when you went to the movies, yeah, you would have seen people kissing and, and hugging. And, and for a lot of Christians, that was just not acceptable to do that. I mean, husbands and wives didn't kiss each other in public. So why would I go watch someone else do it in the theater, right? So traditionally, at that time, Christians wanted to be above reproach and did not want to be seeing anything that, was, that would in any way taint their testimony in the culture. Well, now here we are, 2022, and preachers are still saying that. And I've been, I've been I've had these conversations with preachers. I've had conversations with Christians who go to these churches. And it's the same conversation. And the question is asked, well, then can I rent a movie? Sure, you can rent a movie. Okay, I can rent a movie, but I can't go to the theater. What's the difference? 
Well, at the theater, people don't know what you're watching. How do they know what I'm renting? They don't have an answer to it. You know why? Because they're preaching tradition. They're not preaching truth. And they're preaching it on a level of theology. They're literally saying, you are sinning if you do. That's theology. <laughs> they're taking a tradition. They're taking an opinion, turning into theology, and claiming it's word of knowledge. And it's not. And then off of that word of knowledge, they're giving you supposedly word of wisdom, what you should and should not do because of the false word of knowledge. And so the word of wisdom is also false. They're building a weak, false foundation, building up, and are shocked when the kids hit 18, 19, and 20 and their house falls because they had a weak foundation full of misinformation. We need people who can teach others general truths so that when those others go on and speak, they don't speak false opinions, man-made traditions. Teaching is so valuable in the church. And yet, I've got to ask, how much is really going on? How much deep teaching? I said low-hanging fruit earlier. I believe you can have deep and low-hanging. Just because it's a deep truth doesn't mean it needs to be a high truth. A deep truth can still be brought low. Here's what I believe. A teacher who's gifted can take a hard concept and communicate it in an easy way. That's why you're teaching. If you couldn't do it, then let the person flounder on their own. They don't need you to help them flounder. A lifeguard jumps in to rescue someone who doesn't know how to swim. You don't throw in someone who doesn't know how to swim to rescue someone who doesn't know how to swim. And then the lifeguard says, hey, you know what? How about you take some classes? I can teach you how to swim. Like, we have classes here at the Y, right? Let me teach you. Oh, it's so hard. No, it's not hard. It seems hard, but I can make it easy. I'll show you how it's easy. Same with Christianity. Same with deep truths. A teacher doesn't make the deep truth, uh, doesn't present it in a way you cannot understand, presents it in a way you can, whether it's math, science, history, English, or Bible. And so a teacher takes deep truths, passes them on to people that they can understand. That's my question. How many churches, how many Christians today are being offered deep truths? How many pastors are offering deep truths? I told you the other week, there was an a individual I spoke with, and he said, yeah, you know, uh, my, my pastor is always talking about preaching on the same stuff, like shallow truth, salvation, general Christian living, you know, God loves you, be encouraged, and it pretty much was just that all the time. And he said, we're looking at moving to a different church. And he said, uh, I just, I need something better for my family. I need something more than, than the same five truths preached over and over again on a rotated basis every month. And he said, I went to the pastor. He told me this. He said, I went to the pastor. I said, hey, is there a reason why you're not going deeper? And the pastor said, well, I believe my calling is to new believers. And new believers can't really grasp deep truth. So I'm just teaching the same ones so the new believers can, can get it. I think that is such a false premise on more than one level. A new believer needs more than five truths. And I'm being facetious. I'm sure he's preaching more than five, but you get the idea, right? A new believer needs more. A new believer is hungry for more. If you don't give the new believer the truths at the beginning, by the time they do start getting them, they've probably lost their hunger for it. That is the best time to preach the deep truths to a new believer. And so this person is looking for a new church because they want to go deeper. And I hate to say it, but I think there's a lot of churches that are evidencing that, that individual church. 
a lot of churches where the pastor is either they're teaching deep truths but so high no one can get them or they're teaching shallow truths because in their head they think they're doing the church a favor because we've got so many new believers here, we don't want to lose them. No, actually what you need to do is teep, deep, teach deep truths on a low-hanging level, which requires the ability to teach. <laughs> because someone who can't teach doesn't need to teach deep truths because anyone can talk about shallow stuff. And someone who can't, can't teach can have the word of knowledge. They can understand, I'm sorry, they can have knowledge. They can understand knowledge, but they can't communicate it. That's why you walk away saying, now what did they say? No, they're very smart, but they're not a teacher. And there's a lot of churches, I think, with smart people who can't teach and with people who aren't so smart they can't teach. And there's a lot of churches with people who can teach, but their philosophy keeps them from teaching deep truths. Let's go to our next one, the gifts of protection. We're going to look at only one today due to a lack of time. In 1 Corinthians 12, let's look at verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. So the gifts of protection I want to look at faith in verse 9. So I see three gifts in this category of protection. Faith, discernment, and governments, or ruling. Some passages refer to it as ruling, some as governments. We're going to look at just faith today. I believe that these gifts protect God's people from fear, ignorance, and inexperience. Specifically, let's start because we're talking about faith, fear. The fear of man brings a snare, we are told in Proverbs. Once I know that a leader is controlled by fear, I will either no longer follow them, or if they are a leader working with me or under me, I will help them overcome that fear, or they're not staying here. Because a leader controlled by fear can only destroy can only be destroyed and can only destroy. A leader controlled by fear, fear of man, fear of Satan, fear of the world, a leader controlled by any fear other than the fear of God should not be leading God's people. Now, I've had leaders in the past, school or church, who have had the fear of man, and I've given them time, worked with them, and they've overcome that fear of man. But if they could not overcome it, they would not have stayed. Because Christians who are afraid of other Christians will be controlled and manipulated by those Christians. Christians who are afraid of the world will be controlled and manipulated by the world. Christians who are afraid of anything other than God will be controlled and manipulated by whatever that is. And why would you want to follow a leader who's controlled and manipulated by people? Or other things. You know what a lot of pastors are afraid of? Financial ruin. So what controls and manipulates them? Money. Not necessarily an individual person. They're not afraid of people. They're afraid of going broke. They're afraid of the church going bankrupt. So it's not that the person, no person can come and manipulate them. But the spreadsheet, the profit and loss, that manipulates them. That controls them. Every week they look at it, and you will find their preaching is affected. <laughs> Connect the dots. If you are even allowed to look at the profit and loss, if they even let you, which a lot of churches don't, 
If they did, look at the profit and loss, and I guarantee you that kind of preacher, as it gets lower to zero, you're going to notice a change in the preacher's preaching style. You're going to notice a change in what they say, some of them unashamedly. Why? Because they're manipulated and controlled by the profit and loss. It's not just people that we're afraid of. So, fear. You know what faith does? Faith eliminates fear. Faith says, well, my faith is in Christ, regardless of what the prophet in law says. This is his building. It's his church. It's his people. Either he'll bring the finances he wants, or he'll close it down himself. And at that point, who am I to say no? I'm not going to close it for him. I'm not going to shut it down on his behalf and say I've done God's, God's job. But I, I'm going to do what he wants. And if what he wants he results in God closing the doors of something, then it's God who closes it. Who am I to say no? I'm not afraid of the profit and loss. That does not mean I'm going to be nonchalant, cavalier about how we spend money, because then I'm just being stupid. There's a balance between being wise but not being controlled by the finances. There's a balance between being wise with God's people but not controlled by God's people. Being wise with the world and how you handle the world and how the world handles you, but not being controlled by the world. There's a balance there. But that balance never includes fear of them. The balance must include fear of God. If you don't have fear of God, I guarantee you, you don't have balance. And a leader is required to have balance. Faith, folks. Faith in Christ. Faith that God has a plan and the ability to see it come to fruition. Faith that God can use you in spite of your faults, in spite of your your issues of life, in spite of your past experiences and your past failures. Faith that God is bigger than you. Faith. Faith that God knows more than that Christian in the church who's been harassing you. Faith that God has a better handle on the human condition than the philosophers of the world trying to redefine so many things. Faith in God. And when Christians with this gift stand up and display their faith, those without the gift are more encouraged to grow in their faith. Remember what I started with. Just because you don't have these gifts doesn't mean you can't do these things. Everyone should have faith, whether you got the gift or not. But those with the gift of faith can lead the way and show others what it looks like so those without the gift, those who it doesn't come naturally to them, can practice daily Christian living faith because they see leaders who evidence it for them on a regular basis. Do you have the gift of faith? Then can you lead the way for God's people and show them what it looks like so they can be inspired to grow in their own faith? Let's pray.